Thank you, Emmeline. Such a beautiful testimony. Um, even though you graduate from Mr. Chang's messages, Pastor Deal's messages are equally exciting uh, for us. So that's something you can look forward to. Um, I'm, I want to take this time to introduce my dad, uh, who is also our guest speaker for today. He has uh, preached several times here at Harvest already in, in the past 10 years. Uh, so we get to hear from him. Um, just to give you an introduction to my own father, uh, he grew up uh, as a pastor's kid uh, here in the States, uh, not intending to really go into full-time ministry. Uh, he went to Cornell for engineering. And while he was there, uh, the Lord laid on his heart a burden for the Muslim world when one of the missionaries came through uh, while he was in college with navigators, um, sharing that there has, there's only one missionary for every thousand, or for every million Muslims, I'm sorry, in, the, in that time. And so burdened with that, um, my dad rerouted his life. Um, he met my mom, and they went to uh, school, uh, seminary together, but also uh, eventually found their way to Central Asia where they served the Lord um, on missions, playing a church also called Harvest um, from 2010, 2000 to 2010. And uh, for the last 10 years, they have been in the States um, working and laboring in the mission field here in the sense that there are a lot of Muslims in the United States, and they are um, helping to bring the gospel to um, our neighbors who have come to our very front door and teaching. My mom also teaches English uh, through ESL to a lot of immigrants and refugees in this country. Uh, one of my favorite memories of my dad as, as a great father has been when we were in, in Uzbekistan in 05, my dad was arrested uh, for leading a Bible study. And uh, at the time, I was nine and very scared about not being able to see my father, perhaps, uh, or any consequences that might occur in regards to that. And so I remember crying myself to sleep that night that he was arrested. And the next morning, I woke up to find him on my bed, um, smiling at me. And it was in that moment that I felt like the world had turned right. Um, and a night of terror had turned when dawn came. Um, my dad's presence alone um, brought a lot of security to me. And that's one of my favorite memories of my dad's is just his presence. And uh, he's a man of conviction that I hope that one day I can be um, half the man that he is. Um, and so um, that points us to uh, the presence of a greater father. Um, and God, our father, his presence alone in our lives, in every waking moment and when we sleep, he does not leave us. And his presence alone changes every aspect of our lives. Um, and so hopefully my dad will share more about the Father's heart for us. And so if we can just welcome my dad, uh, and he will give, um, share from God's word. Thank you, Josiah. And he's our favorite second son. So that's, <laughs> and so I've, I'm going to ask my wife to pray for us um, before we get into God's word. And this year we'll be married 29 years, so she's God's gift to me. And we have... Um, you know, now that we're empty nesting, we've, we have a garden back in Leesburg, and we have a garden where she likes to work, and we have a front hanging plants, floral garden, and I want to water that while she's out in the garden. So I said, let's work separately, and she said, no, we want to do things together. And I thought it would make more sense to be efficient, to be separated, but she said, no, I want to do things together. And even while we were doing gardening, she wants to talk. You know, we've been talking for 29 years. What more is there to talk about? But that's the heart of a woman, heart of a wife. 
And uh, I just want to bless all the couples, married couples, that the Lord will just uh, give you that fellowship mm. and that intimacy um, of husband and wife and then as a family. Yeah. Um, just w- so good to see you all, um, to be with all the brothers and sisters in the Harvest Church. And, um, you know, this past year, our family went through the, probably the, the toughest year of our family. Um, and uh, as we send off not only our son Josiah here, but Karis joined uh, Orlando. And uh, it really does um, um, lo- make my heart long for that intimate relationship even more and with my husband. And, uh, but it also, uh, that points us to, wow, we have um, our Heavenly Father to, to meet one day. And it's, it seems like my, our days are drawing near. And as our, draw, our days are drawing near, our hearts are becoming more humbled uh, to, um, to be clinging on to the cross. So I just want to pray this prayer with you all. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. For the cross, you have endured. You have given your life and you spilled your blood for the sake of your children here and um, that you will be so mindful of every one of us. Heavenly Father, um, we are awed by your mercy, by your love that is unconditional. Whom do we have in heaven but you? Nothing here on earth we desire. Lord, we desire only you. And we desire your intimacy with you. And so for all of us, I just want to, Lord, charge, give a charge to myself and to the family of Harvest. He who died for all is Christ Jesus, that those who live should no longer, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so, Father, we thank you for the, the purpose that you have given us. And that is to live for you and die for you and to be raised up with you again. Hallelujah. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you. So this morning, it's an incredible privilege and honor to be with you and to share God's word with you. And as I've been praying after Pastor D.L. asked um, about speaking to Harvest, praying and asking the Lord, what can I share? And what came to my heart was Apostle Paul, and he's one of my heroes of faith, and I think to many of us, and his very last letter that he would write before, while he was in prison and before being executed, martyred in Rome. And so Apostle Paul, just briefly, he came to, he was born a few years after Christ, around 5 A.D., And for the first 30 years of his life, he was a devout Jew, and he opposed the gospel message. He thought it was blasphemous that Jesus, the man, would claim to be the Son of God. And so he opposed that message. He put a lot of Christians to death. And a few years after Jesus died, rose again, and went went to heaven, that's when Apostle Paul, back then his name was Saul, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then his life completely turns around. And now he is struggling. He's, he's fighting to preach the gospel to the lost people, especially to the Gentiles. 
And it's that message and that uh, journey, that uh, commitment, that purpose, takes him, puts him in jail in Rome. And he writes this last letter to his disciple, Timothy, and to us. And, um, and then after that, he, he does go to heaven. He's with the Lord, and he's martyred. And a word, uh, a few verses describe him. In Romans 15, a different letter that he wrote but in Romans 15, he says that he, God called him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. But in actuality, he preaches to the Gentiles and the Jews. And it's verse 20, where it says, um, 19 and 20, he says, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricium. And Illyricium is a region, a province, a Roman province adjacent to Italy. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricium, he preached the gospel. And it, he says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And so that's, Christ, that's Paul's, his ambition in life. I want to take the gospel where people have not heard the good news, and I want to give my life completely over to that purpose. And so it's with that purpose, it lands him in jail around 65, 66, 67, 7 AD. He writes this last letter to Timothy. And if you have an opportunity, I would encourage you to read the whole book of 2 Timothy. But I want to start from chapter 3, and we'll read from chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 5. And he says this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And that's how he starts off. And he's in jail. He is seeing the shadows of death, and he realizes pretty soon he will be taken home, and he is. And I would think that if Apostle Paul had coronavirus and he was dying in hospital, he would write the same thing. The message would not change. He would write the same letter. And that's why we need to pay attention what is on his heart. And he says, people will be lovers of themselves, especially at the end times. Right before Jesus' return, People will be lovers of themselves. And then he lists about 19 traits of people who have rejected the gospel and who are living their own life, whether they are going after other religion, whether they're Muslims or Hindus or those who deny God, atheists. This will be a common trait. People will be lovers of themselves. And that starts off the list. And it's interesting that during our time when social media is so popular and we try to promote ourselves, whether it's through YouTube Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, whatever you, you have, it's this narcissistic attitude. Let me show you the best side of me so that you like me. And it's captured here. Then Paul goes on to say, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Paul says, avoid them. And I'm reading this list and I'm seeing parts of me in here. You know, I've been proud, boastful, unforgiving, disobedient to my parents, especially growing up as a PK. There are many things I did out of disobedience. And true, this was me before Christ redeemed me. But even after coming to Christ, I know all of us struggle with pride, you know, different aspects. 
So this text is not giving you the authority to reject someone. You know, I see that person is proud. I'm going to avoid him. That's not what Paul is saying. And perhaps if you have all 19 of these traits, then you should be avoided. But, you know, it's, if God can redeem me, he can redeem anyone. And Paul would say that he was the chief of all sinners, and yet Christ redeemed him. But I think the general tendency is that as the end time draws near, there will be a degeneration, a, a dissension, just a degradation of people's lives. And more and more will show this kind of traits. And verse 6, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. So I want to pause here because in this morning's text, Paul bring, talks about truth three times, and this is the first time, and three common negative responses to God's truth to the gospel. And the first one is those who come here and learn God's truth, God's word, but never acknowledge it, never embrace it. And it's like coming to church, even Sunday school, small group, house church, but never embracing the truth and never surrendering his or her life to Christ. And there may be people like that even here in our room or even online and if that's you, I pray that God would open your heart, just like the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 14, where he opened the heart of Lydia to respond to the gospel, and she came to faith in Christ. And you may know family members, colleagues at work, who are in this category. They have heard so much, even read through the Bible, but have never fully come to embrace and acknowledge it as God's truth. Second group is the next verse. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. And Paul is referring to magicians and sorcerers that opposed Moses and Aaron when they went to Pharaoh's court to ask Pharaoh, release the people of Israel who were slaves of, in Egypt at the time, release them so that they may go and worship their God, the living God. And Janus and Jambres were these magicians who, uh, through their own demonic sorcery powers, they would counterfeit what Moses and Aaron would do. So the staff that Moses turned from staff to um, serpent, these magicians did as well. And so Paul says there will be people like that who oppose God's truth. And in our lives, we may meet people who oppose the truth that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the Son of God. And in our line of ministry with the Muslims, they vehemently deny that. Muhammad taught his followers to reject the truth that Jesus died on the cross. And so in our you know, um, ministry with the Muslims, that's one of the hurdles we have to come across with them and that they would have to embrace. But it's not only the Muslims, it's the Hindus as well. People from other faith, cultic groups, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they have their own ideologies, their own beliefs, 
and they oppose the truth that you, you present to them. And it has to be the work of God that removes that barrier so that they can come to Christ. And it does happen. Muslims all over the world are having dreams and visions of Jesus, encountering miracles, and they come to faith in Christ. They go over that hurdle of that opposition that they have grown up with to come to faith in Christ. And perhaps you know some people like that, that God is gently encouraging you, share the gospel with them. The third group, actually, we have to skip a few verses to chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So this is the third group, common negative response to the God's truth. And perhaps some of them are people who are in the church and even believers. But quite often they are unbelievers. They turn away from God's truth and they turn aside to myth, to fairy tales, to lies, to man-made theories. And during Paul's time, there were teachings like the resurrection had already happened, that Jesus had returned. So that's a lie. That's a fable. That's a myth. But in our time, it's anything that, con that is contrary to God's truth and leading people even from the church astray. For instance, the theory of evolution. You know, that's, it's not scientific. It's not God's truth. I worked as an engineer, and as Josiah mentioned, I worked with a lot of physicists, PhDs from all the Ivy League schools. We were just uh, a research company. And I talked to one of the leading physicists at the time, and we talked about this theory of evolution. And he said to me, it's all fairy tale. You cannot justify, um, back it up mathematically. It requires just as much faith to believe in it as you would any religion. But because of this teaching of evolutionism in our schools and in our society and the denial of the existence of God, then even in the church, we can easily be influenced by teachings like when a woman becomes pregnant, when a teenager becomes pregnant and she's wondering what to do, do I have the child? At places like Planned Parenthood, they would teach this lie, this fairy tale that it's it's not a child, it's not a being, it's just a tissue. And you can get rid of it. So that you can have a better future, and this will be better for your future children. And this goes against what the scripture teaches. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And God is speaking to Jeremiah, the prophet. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And God is saying, Jeremiah, even before you were conceived in the mother's womb, you were a person to me. I already knew you, and I crafted you. You're the one with my, you know, I created you in your mother's womb. And in Luke 1.15, God is speaking about, through angel, speaking to Elizabeth about John the Baptist. And, and the Lord says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And again, this child in Elizabeth's body is a being, a living being 
But not only that, God determines the sex and the gender. It's a he. And so even before a child is born, the Lord has already decided that it's a person, living being, and has decided the sex and the gender, which goes against what our world seems to be teaching right now. And that teaching is even coming into the church. And I know there may be more uh, of those in the scientific community who want to bring out this philosophy or teaching that right now they seem to be discovering uh, genetically that people are disposed to same-sex attraction or even transgender issues. Um, And this kind of confusion is not of the Lord. And so for my wife and I, a few months ago, we were having a discussion with our good friends. They're Christians, Christian couple. We did ministry with them. And one of their relatives, their nephew, is struggling with same-sex attraction. And they were trying to justify his lifestyle, that it's okay because he was born with it. But that goes against what the scripture teaches. And so I told my friend, let's say I am that young man and going through puberty, teenage years, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction, but growing up in church, I know it is wrong. And if if I'm fasting and praying, I want to be set free. I don't want to, or if I'm struggling that I'm, I'm a woman trapped in man's body, I would ask God, would you set me free? I don't know what's happening, but set me free. And Jesus appears in the room when I'm on the floor praying, and he asks me, what can I do for you? I would ask Jesus, Jesus, would you set me free? Heal me, whatever you need to to do, physiologically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, so that I am the person you created me to be. And I believe Jesus will heal me, and he will set me free. I don't know how, what he has to do, but I know he will heal me. Just as he healed those people who had all kinds of disease, leprosy, cast out demons, even gave sight to a man who was born blind, You know, genetically, something was wrong with him. And Jesus just took care of all that. There's only one instance in Scripture where Jesus refused to heal somebody or set someone free, and it was Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and you can read about that. And Jesus gives him a reason why he will not heal him. But in every other instance in the Gospels, when a father or mother or when a person asked Jesus, would you heal me, set me free, Jesus did. Our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus, not what others people, other people teach, fairy tales, fables. And Apostle Paul, at the end of chapter 2, gives us some understanding of who is the source of all this opposition to the truth, the fables, the myths, even false religions like Islam. And in chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, Paul is speaking again to not only to Timothy, but to teachers of God's word. Those who oppose him, meaning God's ambassador, Christ's ambassador, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to his will, And Paul is saying, and God is saying, if you see any movement 
anyone teaching something false, opposed to God's truth, he's saying it's coming from the source of all that is the enemy, Satan, who's the father of lies. And we need to pray that they will be set free from this kind of trap of the devil and come to knowledge of the truth. And so Apostle Paul, in light of all these tension between truth and lie, he gives Timothy and us three words of advice. So back to chapter 3, starting from verse 10, Paul says, you, however, in, in spite of all these things happening around you, but you, however, have to be different. And Paul uses this phrase three times. You, however. In Greek, it's sude. So verse 10, verse 14, and chapter 4, verse 5. So Paul is going to give three words of advice. The first one, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And Paul is reminding Timothy, you know my life. I've gone through persecution. You know my faith, my purpose. And Paul's purpose, like I shared earlier from Romans 15, was to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because that was the great commission that Jesus gave to Paul and to us. The very last charge that Jesus gave to all of us, if you are a follower of Christ, that holds true regardless of your age, that we are to make disciples of all nations wherever he sends us. And as Paul was doing that, he went through much persecution. In a, another letter, 2 Corinthians 11, he describes the kind of persecution he went through. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned nearly to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea and goes on. And he was hungry, he was sick, sleepless. He no, um, and there's a phrase he uses in verse 23 of that chapter. He was exposed to death again and again. And he was even sick in Galatia. He had some kind of illness that detained him there. And I think if there was coronavirus pandemic at the time, he would have caught it because he was so busy going to places, sharing the gospel. But it did not stop him. And he's saying to you and to me, first word of advice is follow, remember and follow the example of Apostle Paul. And because he was so committed, even with the persecution, did you know, according to the Bible scholars, he traveled 10,000 miles during his lifetime to preach the gospel. 10,000 miles. My wife and I drove 850 miles from D.C. to come here and even that was tiring. And we had to stop every other few hours for Dunkin' Donuts coffee. She, we like coffee. We needed coffee breaks. Well, imagine the distance from here to L.A. is 2,500 miles. Imagine walking there and back twice to preach the gospel. Who would do that? Well, Paul did that. And that's how committed he was to the Lord Jesus and the Great Commission. 
And that's what Jesus is calling for you and me. Verse 14, the second you, however, in my version it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And so Paul is reminding Timothy to continue to study and preach God's word. Continue to study, obey, and preach God's word. And he reminds Timothy that it's through scripture that we first come to Christ, through, to salvation. And so the salvation of Scripture, according to Paul in this passage, has twofold purpose. First, to bring people to the knowledge of salvation. Second, to correct them, instruct them, equip them, encourage them so that they become equipped to do God's work. So to flash that out, let me share with you something that happened many years ago. When we first got into Uzbekistan, like um, Josiah shared We were there from 2000 uh, to 2006 in the first country and second country after that, after the arrest. But about two years into the country, I was teaching as a guest professor engineering classes at the university. And one of my students, he's a Tajik Muslim, Damir. After one of the lessons, he came up to me and he asked me, can I have a copy of the English Bible? And I was excited. But I also had a dilemma, a little fearful. So I told him, I don't have a copy of a Bible right now, but next week, if I find one, I will give it to you. So I came home, shared the good news with my wife, but we also had a dilemma. We had to pray because it's a risk to give a Bible to a Muslim student, especially in the university context. So we prayed, and, but we sensed that the Holy Spirit was saying, you can trust him, give him a Bible. So the following week, I took a Bible, gave it to him, and asked him, you know, instead of reading from Genesis, why don't you start from the book of Matthew, from New Testament? Because Muslims have some knowledge of Jesus Christ through the Quran. So I told him, read one chapter a day from the book of Matthew. And next week when we, will, when we meet, we'll discuss the first seven chapters. The following week when I met him, he had already read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and he was almost finished with the Gospel of John. So I knew his heart was ready. So after the class that day in the afternoon, we went to a nearby park, and I shared the gospel with him, and he became a Christian. Praise God. And he started coming to our church. He quickly stepped up. He learned, came to the Bible studies. He stepped up to be a pastor. He was a gifted preacher. He and I and one other person, another local Muslim who came to Christ, we started preaching And in our house church, we had early morning prayer three times a week. And we were going through the book of Galatians. And it was his turn to preach from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. 
And the text goes like this. When Peter came to Antioch, and this is Peter the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, one of the church leaders after Christ had ascended. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. So Paul is speaking in first person. Before certain men came from James, and this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, he also became a church leader. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who was a mature believer, was led astray. And so what was happening was Peter, who was a Jew, began to share the gospel with Gentiles at the command of the Holy Spirit, and Gentiles started coming to Christ. So now you have within the church Jews who came to Christ and Gentiles who came to Christ. But there was a tension between them because of um, past rituals and conditions of the Jews, including the need to have circumcision. And so Peter, when he was with the Gentiles, he associated with them. But as soon as the Jewish believers came, he ran away from them and only mingled with the Jews. And Paul confronted him of this hypocrisy. And when Damir preached from this text, he said this to us. And there were about 10 of us. Early morning prayer at 6 o'clock. How many come? You know, not too many. And, but we were attentive to his message. And he said this. In Central Asia, when a Muslim comes to Christ, when you're Tajik or Uzbek, different people groups, when you come to Christ, they accuse you of becoming Russian because Christianity is a Russian religion. So as soon as you become a Christian, you have become a Russian. And Damir kept this in his, in his head. And he wanted to show his friends and his family, his Tajik family and friends, I have not become Russian. I'm still a Tajik, but I love Jesus. So even though he had friends who were Russian Christians, brothers and sisters, and some he would worship with them at retreats and conferences, when he saw them in his village or on his campus, he, didn't, he ignored them out of fear that if he said anything with them, especially talking about God or Jesus, his friends would say, yeah, see, you have become a Russian. So he stayed away from them. But after reading this passage, this is what he said. My Russian brother, my Russian sister is my true family. I am family with them for the eternity on. But if my own family and my own friends never embrace Jesus, I am forever separated from them. And Jesus said something similar. And he said, these Russian brothers and sisters are my true family. And in Luke chapter 8, Jesus says this, who is my mother, who are my brothers, those who do the will of God. And so Damir challenged all of us, the next time I see my Christian Russian brother coming down the street, not only am I going to not ignore that, I'm going to go up to him and in Russian greet him, how are you, brother? And even pray with him in the, in the midst of my Tajik Muslim friends because he is my true family. And as I was listening to that message, God correcting not only him, but our house church of the dangers of becoming like Peter in Galatians. I was so thankful that the Holy Spirit was engaged 
with the heart of Damir and his mind, and he was correcting, training, and rebuking the house church, something I had no idea, and I could not do the Holy Spirit was already doing. And so in his life, I saw both the salvific power of God's word, but also the training, equipping power of God's word. And that's why Paul tells us to study, to preach his word. The third advice comes from verse 5. We already read 3 and 4. Verse 5, it says, But you, again, you, however, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And he says, keep your head in all situations. Be sober-minded. And the word in Greek is, yeah, be sober, be watchful, be alert in all circumstances. Whether there's persecution and people are being arrested and put into prison, just like in Uzbekistan, or whether there's a pandemic and the coronavirus has hit all the churches across the world, not only here, and how are we to function as Christians during this time? And Paul is saying, keep your head, be alert. So how do we stay alert? Turn with me to verses 14 and on in that chapter, chapter 4. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Again, he is someone who opposes God's truth. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. And I don't know how many Christians there were, brothers and sisters. They left Paul, and he was all alone. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Jesus will never leave you nor abandon you. He will be there with you. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. It's amazing. Paul's singular focus. I don't care if there's persecution, if this Alexander the metal worker, you know, tries to beat me with his hammer. I'm okay. I still want to preach the gospel. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. A figurative, but probably a reference to to Satan who is behind all this. Verse 18 is crucial. Paul says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul believed that Jesus Christ would rescue him from every kind of attack, every kind of illness, every kind of persecution. And that's why he went anywhere that Jesus sent him. That's why he traveled 10,000 miles, even to the cities that were ready to stone him. Or he he got stoned. You know, not the druggy type stoning, but literally stoned. And he went back. In some cases, he went back to the same place, knowing that the same people are waiting for him. Because he believed that Jesus would rescue him from every evil attack. Did you know there was a time in Acts 28, he comes off of a shipwreck, he swims ashore, and then while at a campfire, a poisonous snake comes out and bites him, but he doesn't die. They were expecting him to die, but nothing happens because it was not his time to die yet. His time for death was in Rome under the hand of Emperor Nero, and he would be martyred, beheaded. 
And you and I need to grasp this. If it's not your time, if, if God, let's say you're 40, if God wants you to live until you're 60, you can go to Afghanistan 2,000 times and you will never die. You can share the gospel with the Muslims, even ISIS, next year, and you won't die because it's not your time. If Jesus wants you to live until you're 60, he will take care of you. But if, you're going to, if he wants to take you home next year, no matter what you do, you're going home to be with Jesus. And Paul knew that. And so going back to our story about Damir, the reason why we had a dilemma was this. When my wife and I moved into Samarkand and I started working at this university and the computer center, my partner, my coworker, was a missionary from South Korea. And he had been there three years already. And during those three years before we even arrived, he had about 12 disciples, 12 Muslims who had come to Christ. One of them was a KGB spy, just like Judas Iscariot. And this young man gathered enough information and then turned it over to KGB for money. And eventually, this missionary friend and his family were deported. And they had three days to pack up everything and leave. And my wife and I, you know, I felt so bad for him. And they were weeping. They didn't want to go. They loved Uzbekistan. And so um, I don't know if our kids remember, we held a, a prayer gathering on the very last night and invited other missionaries. No one came. Because they thought if they came to our house, the KGB would know about that, and then they would be kicked out as well. So there were 20 other missionary families. They didn't come out of fear. And I hope you don't do that if Pastor D.L. gets arrested. At least visit him in prison. But that's what fear does. And so when Damir asked me for a copy of the Bible, it was about that time, right after this missionary was kicked out, and he came asking for a copy of the English Bible, and my wife and I had to make a decision. Is this genuine request, or is he a KGB spy? And so we... We struggled with it for about a week. And finally, because we sensed the Holy Spirit, we didn't hear anything prophetic, like, no, he's genuine. We just sensed from the Holy Spirit a peace. So we took a risk. And I said to my wife, we've invested so much to learn the language, the culture. We've been here two years. It would cost us a lot of money to move to another country. Or something can happen. We both can lose our lives. Is he worth it? And we decided he's worth it. And so we gave him a Bible, and the rest is history. And Damir not only came to Christ, he became a pastor, and now he's one of the leading pastors in Uzbekistan. He's traveling to other cities to teach other pastors how to be a better shepherd. He's one of their Bible teachers, and he actually goes out of the country, even to other Muslim countries. He's been to China several times, leading Uyghur Muslims to Christ. And if we had held back, and not share the gospel with him, not giving him a Bible, we would have missed out on that incredible privilege. But it was a risk. And I think that's what this verse 18 is saying and what Paul is saying to Timothy and to us. Keep your head in all situations. This pandemic is going to open up opportunities for you to share the gospel with the last people around you. And so my wife and I, you know, even during this coronavirus time, we have visited families um, I'm glad to be standing here because this is mask-free zone, but you know, some of those homes that we go in, ESL families, Afghan Muslim families, they want 
in-person visits. And so in, in this one case, we've gone in, drank tea with them, had meals with them. We gave them a dowry Bible as a gift. And if we catch coronavirus because we were in their home and we die, we're okay with that. It meant that it was our time. You know, some of you, you may, as you engage with the last people around you, you may catch coronavirus, but Jesus, will, he can heal you, just like he did with Apostle Paul when he was beaten by a poisonous snake. He has all authority to heal you. But if it's your time to be with Jesus, he will take you home, whether it's coronavirus or heart attack. It doesn't matter. But we don't live in fear because somehow coronavirus has put that kind of fear across the world in a lot of the churches. So my charge to you, and I believe it's in the spirit of Apostle Paul to Timothy, is to continue to have the singular focus. The last people around you, they're worth that risk. You have Jesus. You have eternity. You have nothing to lose. They have everything to lose. And if the Lord opens up an opportunity, even this week, for you to go and share, and if you die, praise God, you're with Jesus, right? Paul said that. He said, I would rather die and be with Christ, but it's for your sake that I remain here on earth. And you know, it's, as the pandemic started, the, somehow the threshold age was 60. If you're over 60, you're at high risk. If you're under 60, and I know we're thankful that Josiah already caught it and went through it, so he has the antibody. So we're going to ask him for some plasma if we get sick. And, but, you know, um, 60 was it. And I'm 57. I have three more years. And somehow after anything, any age after 60 is a bonus from Jesus. Apostle Paul probably was around 60 when he was beheaded. But I just want to ask you, what are you living for? If you're trying to be, keep yourself alive, for what purpose are you keeping yourself alive if it's not to share the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission? So I'm going to invite the praise and worship team to come back and uh, lead us into a time of worship and reflection. But I just want to close this time. If we can just uh, go before the Lord, bow our heads. And, and I want to encourage you to think about what Paul's letter to Timothy and to us, and to really ask during this time, God, I know someone who is opposed to the truth, or I know someone who's been coming to church but never fully embraced Christ. I know someone who has been led astray by myths and fables and all these scientific studies that really are based on lies and tra traps of the enemy. I know someone like that. And if this week, God, you want me to go visit that person in person, not over Zoom, but over coffee, and risk getting coronavirus, I'm available. Because it's during this time that Jesus wants us to step out in faith. He does. And when we step out in faith, he will meet us. And he does amazing things, like Damir. And actually, recently, Damir and his family, they, got, they went through coronavirus. I think it's because he's still active in ministry. But God took him through that. They all went through that as a family. Yes, Jesus loves us. 
He will stand with us, but He loves the lost sheep around us as well. And they need to know the love and intimacy of our Savior. Would you be that person? Risk your life for even that one person and meet with that person and pray for, or they may need help. And in the process of needing, moving or shopping for them, you catch coronavirus. Well, praise God, your life is in His hands. So Heavenly Father, I just want to bless all of us here in this room. Thank you for the reminder from Apostle Paul. Lord, his singular focus, his passionate commitment to Christ and to make him known. Father, give that to us, even this day. Fill us with that kind of passion and that commitment. And Lord, in heaven there is no sickness, there is no coronavirus, there is no death. And we long for that place. Help us not to be fixated about being here on earth as long as possible, unless it's your desire. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name.